Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. I'm your host, Connor Livesey, here with Dalton Miller tonight. Cole Patterson could not join us, so it's just me and Dalton tonight. Uh, We are here to talk uh, about the Cowboys rookie class. We're going to set some realistic expectations for each draft pick and maybe talk about an undrafted free agent or two that we think could make the roster and uh, have some expectations to even talk about. But uh, before we get started, Dalton, how's it going? It's going. It's going. Uh, I'm, I'm... I'm happy that sports are, are, as a whole, are starting to come back. Man, I need football to happen real, real bad. Um, I got golf, and golf is great, and I can keep up with that. And it's, you know, four days out of the week, and I love baseball, and I watch basketball. Um, and I play way too much golf. But, man, I really, really miss football a lot. Yeah, football's just a different beast. It's a... Uh... You know, I love baseball, like you said, love other sports as well, but uh, there's nothing like having that football drive as a fan. It just consumes your life, and it takes up most of your free time, but um, let's dive in. We're going we're gonna to be short and sweet tonight. Uh, let's start with the Cowboys' first-round pick, C.D. Lamb. I actually wrote an article on C.D. Lamb's expectations uh, last week, so this is kind of, this is kind of fits in with something I've done recently. Um I'll start because based on that article, I kind of described that CeeDee Lamb's realistic expectations from my point of view are likely going to start out as the wide receiver three, and I could actually end up seeing him taking over the wide receiver two spot at some point. But I also put in there that that doesn't mean Michael Gallup. You could see a situation where if Amari Cooper falls off like he did last year, you could see Michael Gallup turn into the one and, and C.D. Lamb turn into the two. You never know. Um, and I think that that's kind of you know, where I wanted to start with that is, is C.D. Lamb so good that he could you know, take, take the spot away from one of those top two guys, and those top two guys are really good. Yeah, I, I have a difficult time thinking that he could do that in year one. Um, but, man, he is really a, a pretty special talent. So at the end of the day, it, it wouldn't shock me if he ended up being the second leading receiver. But I, I do think if that were to happen, it would probably be because uh, Amari Cooper w- was a little bit banged up or Michael Gallup had to miss a couple games here and there. I think that's really the, the only realistic way just because I, I do think that those guys are going to get even more targets than they did last season. Uh, just doing some quick math here real quick. Uh, 83 targets to Randall Cobb and Jason Witten apiece. Uh, so they each got 83. Plus you bring in Blake Jarwin's 41 from last year, and that's 207 targets. Between Blake Jarwin and Jason Wynn. You know what I mean? 
So those are kind of the, the two guys there fighting for 207 targets. You can imagine, you know, if they pass the same amount of uh, attempts as they did last season, you're looking at, you know, a, a big share between those top four guys. And so we could see Amari Cooper go for 1,200 yards. We could see Michael Gallup go for 1,150, kind of like they did last year. And then you could have a, a guy like C.D. Lamb at, you know, 1,100 yards, and you could have Blake Jarwin somewhere around, you know, 700, um, you know, ha- have a, around the same amount of catches or, or so as Jason Witten did last year and have a much higher yard per reception rate. But I, I really just, until I see what the offense is really going to look like, um, and there's been reports that it's, it's really not going to change all that much outside of just some of the verbiage. Um, so I, I really don't know how much true West Coast principles we're going to get um, if a lot of things haven't changed and maybe we see more of an integration into that after year one. Um, but I, I, do, I, don't, I don't think it would be crazy if we did see um, C.D. Lamb go for over 1,000 yards even as a rookie. Yeah, no, I agree. I think you're – I think you're probably smart by setting the over and under at a thousand, and um, I think you're probably going to be within you know two to three hundred, you know, if he plays all sixteen games, give or take. Um, from a touchdown perspective, I mean, we kind of both agree on the yards. Do you think he's a guy that's going to score a ton? We've seen that these receivers can kind of have some struggles scoring. You know, Michael Gallup went. Uh, his rookie year when he didn't score a lot at all, then he bounced back last year and had a ton of touchdowns. Um, we've seen before just guys on the roster that would put up a lot of yards but not get in the end zone a lot. Um, what do you kind of see? Do you think he can be a, a threat in the red zone, a threat with you know after the catch? Obviously something he's really good at. Do you think he can score you know six to nine touchdowns or something like that this year? Uh, yeah, I, w- I would probably say you know anywhere from four to eight would be my guess, but. Like you've already said, he's better after the catch than Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper are. And if he gets, you know, somewhere around, not the same target share, but say Cooper gets 120, Gallup gets 115, 110, and he gets 100, I could see him scoring the same amount of touchdowns as them simply because of his ability post-catch. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. It'll be really interesting to see if, his ability post-catch was as much his ability as it was the Big 12's inability to tackle him. Um, And so, I mean, that'll be interesting to watch. It'll be interesting to see if he gets, you know, just a a little bit more um, meat onto his frame. I mean, he is a a somewhat lean guy um, overall. And, you know, see, you know, if he is that same size he was, you know, last year, because that's kind of how it looks you know, when he's not in pads right now, you know, maybe it doesn't matter and he still has that functional strength to, to break tackles post-catch, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see on that. I agree, I agree. All right, uh, Trayvon Diggs, Alabama cornerback, second-round pick. This is where the big you, one for me. Yeah, right. This is probably where it gets a little difficult because you could honestly make the case for him being, you know, you could really make the case for him being the number one corner, you know, just because Cheeto – we think it's going to be Cheeto, um, but also we're not sure. So you could make the case from him being anywhere from the number one corner to not even being on the field, um, you know, in nickel situations. So 
I'll let you start. What are your realistic expectations for Trayvon Diggs in 2020? Um, if we do go to a more uh, quarters-based uh, or, or match-based coverage scheme overall, uh, I, I think that his knowledge in the, the Nick Saban scheme, which, you know, that playbook, uh, when I interviewed him, he said, you know, it was uh, 200 plays or 200 different types of play calls, coverages, um, and so it, it was pretty uh, extensive, and there's a lot that with these uh, match coverages, you really have to be able to read your keys and understand what's going on, um, and, and just it's, it's so much different than your normal cover three scheme. He might be uh, ahead of the curve um, when it comes to coming into a, a new style of defense, so he might already have a leg up there, and what I'm hoping is that we kind of get away from the left quarterback, right quarterback look, and we go to a true quarter scheme where um, you can have him as your uh, boundary corner, um, and you can really have him in a lot of man-to-man situations, allow him to use his physicality to press um, and turn and run, and you have Cheeto on the other side who's playing more of an off-coverage look, um, and it's able to read-react clicking clothes underneath um, and use his instincts and, and his ability to, to play with his bat or his eyes and his chest towards the football and towards the quarterback because that's what we saw at Colorado. He was really good at was coming forward and playing the ball when he could see it um, and not necessarily turning and running uh, and, and, you know, going up and getting the ball. Also, um, the, the difference between playing through the ball and turning and finding the football um, – that's something that Trayvon, or Trayvon Diggs is really good at already, and it's something that the Dallas Cowboys corners did not do uh, in the past with Chris Rashard. So I, I honestly, I think that, you know, outside of just the, the physical ability of coming to the NFL and being ready to play at the big boy level physically, I think mentally he is, is right there with those guys, if not already ahead of them. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, he's... He was one of the, you know, we I think both of us had some questions about some of the overall athleticism as far as his straight line speed, um, you know, probably fluidity in his hips, yeah, yeah. yeah, hip tightness, things like that. But as as far as like playing the ball, um, showing instincts to read routes, like he was he was really good in those situations. You know, mentally, I think like you said, he's probably prepared to step in and ha- handle whatever role. It's just can he keep up with some of these twitchier receivers and and be able to mirror some of these guys off the line of scrimmage. Um, But, you know, keeping it short and sweet, you know, you did a great job of describing kind of what he is. You know, I think he's a guy who probably end up cracking one of the top two, um, you know, boundary corner spots by the time we get to week one. Um, I just think that with the guys that are currently on that depth chart, you know, Anthony Brown and Jordan Lewis are probably better players in the slot you're going to be talking about him competing with like Chris Forley and Reggie Robinson. And I just think that he's probably best fitted to slide into one of those spots, have Cheeto and uh, Trayvon on, on one side, one on the other, and then have Jordan and Anthony Brown try to figure out who's going to play that slot, slot role. So, yeah, and let's let's not forget uh, Trayvon Diggs played a bulk of his snaps his, uh, the, the year before uh, this prior in the slot. So if they do like, you know, Anthony Brown on the outside more than him for some reason, uh, they could use uh, Trayvon Diggs in the slot as well. Right. 
Well, let's move on to Navelle Gallimore, uh, Oklahoma defensive lineman, the Cowboys' third-round pick. This one's a little interesting, too, because um, I was really high on Gallimore coming out. Um, obviously, there was some struggles on the tape. He's pretty raw, but the athleticism, the size, it's all there. Um, you've seen some really good pass rush ability from him. So, you know, it's kind of a toolsy pick more so than a step in and be ready to perform right away. Um, but with the uncertainty of depth behind Gerald McCoy um, and with Tyron Crawford likely being your right defensive end as of now, there's not a whole lot of certainty behind Gerald McCoy at that under tackle spot with Tristan Hill still, you know, really not sure what we're getting out of him. Where do you see Neville Gallimore sliding in and what do you see him doing in his rookie season? Well, I think Gallimore is what they tried to sell us Tristan Hill was. Um, and, and that's that, like you said, that toolsy upside guy. Um, I think that he needs to, to do a better job of kind of reducing his surface area and allowing guys to get into his chest. Um, but man, when, when he, when his hands and his body are right, he has some really fantastic, uh, explosiveness and, and ability to really, uh, crack, um, uh, Jesus, um, not crack gaps, but but really attack gaps and, and get through the yeah and get through the the shoulder of an offensive lineman. So I do really like Neville Gallimore or the uh, the upside of Neville Gallimore. I think it'll take a little bit of time, but I do think that having Gerald McCoy around, both being Oklahoma guy, I think that's going to be really big for him. And I do think that uh, McCoy is going to take Gallimore under his wing because you know Gallimore is a, a lot bigger overall than McCoy is, but McCoy, you know, last year played it, you know, a, a higher weight um, as well, and I think that with Gallimore kind of continually losing weight from that 330 he was at, um, if he can get to that point, I think that he could end up being a, another, you know, line of Gerald McCoy's going forward. Yeah, no, I, I really like the way you kind of described him. I mean, like you said, from a technique standpoint, he has some things he needs to improve on, but from a size, explosiveness, athleticism, you know, he's got a lot of positive traits that you you really want to kind of mold into a, you know, a, a starting caliber player for the future. Um, and I think what you said about McCoy is really true because, you know, coming into, you know, bringing – uh, Gallimore into the defensive line room in previous years, you don't really feel like you have a guy that can kind of take him under his wing and kind of help him develop. You know, Malik Collins never really like seemed like the type of guy who was going to take that leadership role. You know, he was still you kind of felt like figuring out even last year. You know, you're still unsure. You know, we like Malik Collins, we like his ability, but you just weren't. You didn't view him as like one of these big leaders on the defense. So with McCoy, you're going to get a guy who's going to make sure that he's doing things the right way, you know, on and off the field, and then hopefully helping him develop his um, technique, like you like you said, with his hands, his arms, uh, keeping that you know chest clean so he's not able to get latched up right off the ball. Um, but I think I think Gallimore, what Gallimore offers, like I think his expectations for year one could be what we saw from Malik Collins in that rookie year or second year where he kind of just really surprised you. Like he coming out of Nebraska, I don't think 
many people were like in love with Malik Collins, but he came in and that explosiveness and the juice that he was able to bring from the under tackle spot, you know, he was able to get four or five sacks in that rookie year and just really kind of jump onto the screen. And I could see that happening with Gallimore as well, just from a explosiveness standpoint and athletic standpoint, being able to get a handful of sacks and really just surprise people right away. So, you know, we're not I'm not saying that he's going to be Malik Collins year one. I'm just saying it wouldn't surprise me if he kind of has a lot better year than a lot of people are expecting um, because of the things that we like about him. But um, Yeah, I mean, I can see him having a, a little bit of pop coming in, especially when he's playing fresh because he played a lot of snaps for Oklahoma. If he's fresh, I could really see him bringing in some pop on third downs. Right, yeah. And, and again, being able to play the, the one and the three on certain packages as well, so... He might be on the field a lot more. You know, if they stay in base on third downs, they might keep McCoy on the field and then have Gallimore on the field instead of Poe for some pass rush situations. But um, let's take a break, come back, and then we're going to finish out this draft class. Uh, we are talking to Star. We'll be right back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And we're back on the Talking the Star podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. Before you continue... Go to whatever you're listening to this on, Apple Podcasts, Android Podcasts, whatever you listen to it on, hit the subscribe button. Uh, you're going to get so many different shows from the Vlogging the Boys uh, podcast feed. Uh, there's a ton of different voices. There's a ton of different shows. So make sure you're uh, subscribed so you can get all the content uh, right to your ears. We appreciate you all listening. Uh, give us a good review. Uh, give us five stars. Give us a rating. Whatever you got to do to uh, make sure we're keeping this bad boy going, do that for us, please. We thank you guys so much for listening. Um, but let's continue. Reggie Robinson is the next guy that we're going to talk about, the Cowboys' fourth-round pick out of Tulsa. Um, this one's interesting because – I think we're going to have two different point of views with Robinson because I know I was probably a little bit higher on him than you were. Um, I know you liked him but just weren't quite as in love with him as I was. Um, but you got a guy that kind of what we just described with Gallimore, you kind of have that in Robinson, a super, you know, a guy who shows great athleticism at times, uh, great twitchy, you know, twitch, twitchiness in his, in his hips at times. It's not consistent there. You know, that's one area that you kind of saw some ebb and flow in. Um, but if he can kind of put that all together at his size with his length, uh, you have a guy who could be a really good uh, boundary corner uh, for the Cowboys. And we've talked a little bit about him playing safety. We actually talked to him earlier in the offseason. He came on the show and said that, you know, he was fine playing safety or corner. You know, he felt probably more comfortable playing corner but could play some safety. But with his size and with his athletic traits, it's going to be hard for him to not stand out in certain situations. I think he's a guy in training camp. You know, we see those one-on-one videos when he's going up against some of these younger guys. He could bully them because of that size, length, and athleticism. Um, not saying he's going to get on the field right away, but if you're seeing some struggles out of Cheeto Ogwuzie or Trayvon Diggs, it wouldn't surprise me if Reggie Robinson's going to be next in line to kind of get some of those snaps. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I think you covered it pretty well. He's a really, really good straight-line athlete. He is explosive as all get out um and, and 
there are, you know, some inefficiencies in his technique and his ability to kind of uh, flip his hips and change direction. But, man, when it comes to height, weight, speed, he is long as well, like you said. And really, I think with, you know, a little bit of minor tweaks with some of the technical side of things and the ability to just, you know, get more reps, I do think that this is a guy who, you know, year two, especially year three and year four of his rookie deal, um, is somebody who I kind of expect to end up being a starter in the NFL um, just because I am going to bet on that type of upside. And, yeah, you, you said that I was a little bit lower on him, and I, I was just because I, I like super fluid corners. But when you're talking about pick 123 and you're able to get an athlete like this who, you know, showed some, some really, really good reps on tape, I and we talked about it throughout this whole process is there's not a single pick in this draft class that I didn't absolutely love at the time at the place they were at. And he was probably my least favorite where, you know, he relative to where he was picked. But I still think that they got really good value on him here at 123. At a position of need. At a position of need, exactly. You know, we never want to draft for need, but when you can get really good value, really good upside at a position of need, yeah, it just makes it so much sweeter. But Yeah, I mean, there were only a couple guys that, that I had, you know, rated higher than him when that, you know, that pick came, and then we ended up getting one of them later in the draft anyway. So. Yeah. Yeah, all right, so next guy, uh, Tyler Biedish out of Wisconsin. Uh, a lot of high expectations for this guy coming from – you know, from Wisconsin in to possibly replace the footsteps of Travis Frederick. Uh, that's been reported a lot. You know, that might be a little little quick there. Uh, but there's going to be a competition there between Tyler Biedish, uh, Connor McGovern, Joe Looney, Connor Williams, who's going to start at the, the left guard spot and the center spot. Um, does Tyler Biedish have a chance to earn one of those starting gigs, or do you think it's going to be one of these veterans? I think if Tyler Biedish is back to being fully healthy, he will be the starting center. Um, I liked Connor McGovern coming out, um, and I think that, you know, I think it might end up being a battle between McGovern and Williams at left guard eventually, uh, with, you know, McGovern or Williams, one of those two, kind of being the swing interior lineman. Um, and. Williams might just be the swing lineman, period, at some point. Um, but, yeah, the, his 2018 tape, man, it was so good. It was so good. Um, and then he just wasn't healthy in 2019. He wasn't the same player. Um, he, he lacked some of that pop that we saw from 2018. We, You know, he lacked some of the athleticism that we, we saw from 2018. But I think, you know, he's a guy who has a ton of experience uh, at Wisconsin and so I do. I think that if he's back to being fully healthy, I think that this is a guy who can step in and start at the NFL level right away. But he's got to be healthy. He's, that body has got to be back to where it was. Yeah, I mean, like you said, if he if he would have came out in 2018 after that 2018 year, we're talking about a guy who probably would have went in the top 50 um, yep. just based off of that tape. So, you know, you're talking about a guy that hurt himself going back to school, but I think, you know, like you said, you didn't expect to get hurt. That's not something you really expect and plan for. Uh, but he still really, you know, had a tough, you know, like you said, tough year. But that also has to go into a positive bank somewhere that he was able to kind of toughen it out, 
play through the year, not miss many games. You know, wasn't to the caliber that anybody wanted, but still, um, you know, a lot, a lot of things to like from that 2019. Still, wasn't anywhere close to being as good as 2018. But like you said, if he can return to that form, I think he could slide into center. Um, maybe not be Travis Frederick, but you're you're not going to notice a huge drop off. I don't think. Um, we got a few guys left. Bradley and I, Utah edge rusher. This one's interesting to me because this was probably my my favorite value pick of the entire draft. Um, you know, when you talk about like a number, you know, a, a number deficit standpoint for sure. Um, I probably like C.D. Lamb's value. It's seventeen. Like obviously, it wasn't as big of a, a deficit from the number to number pick, but the value of Lamb being there at seventeen might be a little bit better. But Bradley and I would probably be my next guy. Um, it's a crowded defensive line room for him to fit into, obviously. Uh, there's a lot of guys that kind of, you know, Demarcus Lawrence, Tyrone Crawford, uh, Dorrance Armstrong, uh, Alden Smith. So there's four four guys there. You know, they're probably going to carry five or six defensive ends. So he's really going to have to figure out a way to get on the roster. Can you see him making the roster as a 53-man uh, candidate, or do you think he's more of a practice squad guy? Because I don't see him sticking around on the practice squad. No, I mean, I, I think that he'll be the fifth pass rusher uh, when it comes to these uh, defensive ends. Uh, obviously, what happens with Randy Gregory is going to be huge, but I, I don't think or we've heard anything about that, and honestly, I, I don't have my hopes up for uh, that. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, Bradley and I was probably out of all of the pass rushers from this past draft. He had the best just hands, period. Yeah. Um, his... his Pass rush repertoire. It was was really really large. He has a lot of different moves that he that he can you know deploy, but he's just not a great athlete. So I'm wondering if that that step up from the the college level in the Pac-12 uh, to the NFL level, if he's going to be able that that technical side of things, if that's going to be enough for him to win pass rush reps, because we're going to see real quick when he starts going up against NFL talent if he's going to be able to stick around, because it's not a guy who's going to get any more athletic. Yeah, no, and I mean, you're, what's your hope with him is you, you get a guy, you know, DeMarcus Lawrence wasn't the most athletic guy coming out of Boise State either, you know, a guy who just didn't have the quite that twitch that you were looking for. Um, so you're hoping that you get a guy that just knows how to use his hands really well, um, can be athletic enough, can be explosive enough in small spaces to win with the first step, uh, which he was able to do a little bit at Utah. Just got to work on that fluidity in the hips, in the knees, being able to bend better, like you said, being able to flatten out a little bit more. But if he can use his hands the way he did at Utah in the NFL, I think you have a guy who can play the run a little bit, and it will be in the backfield enough to make a difference as, like you said, that fourth or fifth pass rusher. Um, will he ever have 12 sacks in a year? Probably not, but you're looking for a guy that you know can slide in in certain situations be able to play both the run and the pass and give you, you know, four to five stacks a year. That'd be a big win for a fifth-round pick. Last but not least is your favorite, Ben DiNucci out of James Madison, seventh-round pick. Let us know what you think of Ben DiNucci and his expectations for the 2020 year. Oh, man, I love him. Uh, he's the best number three quarterback in the NFL. I can confidently say that just because I don't know any of the other number three quarterbacks in the NFL other than Josh Rosen. Um, and Josh Rosen might be better, but, like, he's been pretty bad in the NFL so far. Janucci uh, is a lot like Tony Romo in play style. 
the ability to kind of get on the hoof and, and make throws on the run. I mean, he can throw from a bunch of different arm angles and platforms in his lower body. Uh, he is he has uh, you know more than enough arm to get it out there. He was pretty accurate in the the uh, games that I charted of him as well. I, I think that this is a guy who deserved to be drafted, uh, at, you know, especially in a class where I didn't like a lot of the quarterbacks. And so for, for them to get him in the seventh round, and honestly, for him not to get any of the All-Star Game invites, none of them at all, um, and to still be drafted really just goes to show how good his tape really was. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of surprised uh, with, with the success that James Madison had at the one the AA level that he didn't have a, a little bit more um, hype surrounding him because that offense, I mean, they slung it all around the field. Uh, so I, I think it's a guy, he's a really good number three. I, I don't know if they're going to carry three on game day, um, but, you know, I think, you know, if they're able to kind of keep him on the practice squad, this is a guy you develop, um, and if he ever ends up being the, the long-term backup, it might be next year, if he ever gets into play, I think this is a guy who can come in and, and play well and bring a spark, and then you trade him for, like, a fourth-round pick. <laughs> that, was a, that was a plan for Dak Prescott a few years ago, right? I, I don't know. I, they, I think they just... Uh, said, oh, F it, because they didn't get Lynch or, uh, oh, uh, Connor Cook. Cook. Just a couple of legends. Legends. No, yeah, I like Danucci. No, I, I, like, I, like, I like Danucci. I think he's a, a fun player. is a local legend for the JMU Dukes out of Richmond. You know, I, I live in Richmond, Virginia. He's just a couple miles uh, northwest of me at JMU, uh, a guy that I watched a lot over the last few years. Um, like you said, I mean, he can make plays with his leg, make plays with his arm. He's a natural leader. Um, not going to compare him to Dak Prescott from a tool standpoint, but I think from the leadership qualities and kind of the way that he played the game, you see a lot of sim- similarities of Dak Prescott in his game, of Tony Romo in, the, in his game, like you said. So um, is he probably going to beat Dalton out for the quarterback two? Probably not. It's Absolutely probably not, not. not the cards. I think um, I think we still underrate just how good Andy Dalton right. still is. Right, right. I mean, again, is Andy Dalton a great starter by any means? No, but I mean, for a back end starter to have that guy as your backup is 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 a great uh, great thing for your team. Um, but like you said, I think Danucci has an opportunity next year. You know, when Dalton moves on to be the team's backup, if he can develop, continue to develop. Um, I'm just excited that we don't have to put up with the Mike White and uh, Cooper Rush talk anymore because I was so tired of hearing of how good Cooper Rush and Mike White were. But um, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, We went through all the rookies. We talked about expectations. We talked about how excited we are to see this rookie class because of how good this class is. Training camp's just around the corner. Knock on wood, it's still here. It's still going to happen. And we're going to have football back if everything does go as planned. So when that happens, we will be here to talk to you, to give you all the information, to break it down for you. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'm Connor Livesey, home with Dalton Miller, and we are Talking with Star.